ready. We're ready to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, by the way, I've received a couple of notes uh, from people over the last, I'd say, three months, and just a couple, saying they need the volume of this turned up or for me to get a bit closer to my phone uh, because their hearing is, is not good, and when they turn it all the way up, they miss some things. And I'm really sorry uh, to hear that. And so we're looking into how to fix that. I don't have an external microphone that hooks into my iPhone that would make this uh, sound clearer and, and you'd be able to turn it up some more. So we're working on it. All right. First Corinthians chapter eight. We just got out of chapter seven. You might be going, whew, we can relax. Uh, not really. Chapter eight seems very odd to us, but it's also very short. There was a problem. In Corinth, as in almost every Roman city, there were temples and gods everywhere. Now, the things that were sacrificed to the gods, the gods ended up not eating, funnily enough. And so there would be a lot of meat, you know, blood offerings given to these different gods. But since the gods didn't eat them, the priest or whoever was running that particular cult would then move that meat over to a market. And of course, they'd get food for them and for the staff, I guess, of the of the uh, the pagan temple, but um, they also could get money by selling the meat. And so it was cheaper. It was used meat, you know, I guess is the best way to put it. And so a lot of Christians would go down and buy that. And that was really upsetting other Christians in Corinth. Once again, you have Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and anytime that we say Jewish or Gentile, we're not talking about a monolithic block of people and they, you know, all Jews felt like this and all Gentiles felt like this. They all brought their histories with them. And some believed that if you ate meat sacrificed to idols, that made you one with the idol. Or that was, you are, you are now subsidizing that pagan cult with your money and you are eating meat that may be tainted by the spirit of some God out there. Now, Paul didn't believe any of those things. Uh, I do know, for example, that the, let's say Nike backs a particular political issue and people will say, well, we'll never buy Nike again. You know, that's that's completely, you, you're within your rights and you can, you're allowed to draw your lines where you want to draw them and make your statements as you wish. I would remind you, however, that we have no idea how the electric company is using those funds we do have some idea about how taxes are being used, and we're not thrilled about that sometimes. Uh, I have no idea how the grocery stores around me, at Kroger, Publix, I don't know how they use uh, my money. I don't know what they support and what they back. I am pretty sure that Amazon couldn't survive without me, but I don't know everything that they're doing either. You, you get the point. Sometimes you just have to go buy the bread and buy the meat but it was bothering some people. And so Paul says, listen, there, there are not any other gods. He calls them so-called gods. He says, but not everybody knows that. And that's down in, uh, let's see, where is that? Well, down, that would be in, in verses five and six. Not everybody knows this. They don't understand it. So be careful. There, be careful around the brothers and sisters that are weaker, that don't know what you know. Don't just barge in there with the meat. Instead, 
you may need to help them and lead them. And Paul goes so far as to say uh, that we are free. We have so many rights, verse 9 and forward. But don't exercise your rights in a way that harms others. And here he's talking about a spiritual harm. You know, I have the, um, I have the right to drive because we have... Um, you know, I have a license and there are laws and therefore I have, it's a privilege, it's not enumerated in the Bill of Rights, but I still have to follow certain rules. Let's say, let's just go to the one which, uh, you know, upsets so many people, either free speech or the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, if you have the right to keep and bear arms, okay. Is there a way to do that, that, that would offend your neighbors and upset? Yes, yes. It, if you are in a state which allows you to carry around a loaded rifle, okay, why would you take that into Walmart? You might say to protect myself. Well, you know, there are other ways to protect yourself with firearms rather than carrying an open rifle into a store. You get the point. And if you are really mad at me for even using that illustration, don't lose the point. The point of the story is the point of the story. Don't make of it anything else. So he says, be careful that you don't become a stumbling block to the weak. Because, and the stumbling block here would be, well, they're going into that temple, they're subsidizing it, they're eating the meat. I believe that means that there are gods uh, that they are subsidizing and these gods will then follow them home and bless them. Well, that's, that's all messed up theologically, but people weren't, people weren't monotheist. This was hard for them. And then Paul says, I don't want to destroy my weaker brother or sister by my knowledge. Therefore, if eating causes my brother or sister to sin, I'll never eat meat again. Here's where a lot of church bullies get their ammunition. They'll say, well, you sang that song and that offended me. That offended me. So you can't do that. Or I didn't like it when you brought that instrument in. That offended me. And they use this as kind of their trump card to say, well, you offended me, therefore you can't do it. Because Paul said, it'd be better never to do it than offend people. The problem is they're using this from a position of amazing power and strength. When Paul was talking about weak brothers and sisters, ignorant, he used the word, ignorant brothers and sisters. So are you volunteering to be the weak and the ignorant? And if so, then we can teach you so that you are no longer offended. It is rather like self-pity. Back in the day, I used to be a shrink. For eight years, nine years almost, we ran a counseling practice before we were able to finally ease out of that part of our life and go on to do other things. Um, long story there uh, about getting in and, and we really had to because people needed us. And then they didn't need us as much anymore. Um, they, and we, we wanted to stop doing the counseling practice. So all of that to say, I treated all kinds of folk, but the one type of person I would not treat were those that had designed their life around self-pity. Why would I not treat them? Because they're where they want to be. They're the most powerful people in any room they enter. If they're invited to a party, because we have to invite them, they'll sit on the couch where everybody else is talking, having fun. 
until finally somebody has to stop having fun and sit beside them and allow their power to adjust the temperature of the room. And so nothing I was gonna say was gonna give them more power or satisfaction than what they already had. Don't feed these powers. And the one who's always in church going, well, I'm, I'm offended, stop that. No, 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 that's not what Paul is talking about. And you are being a bully, a spiritual bully, and you need to stop. I've had many people in my preaching years come up to me and say, I was made very uncomfortable by something which happened in worship today. And my response is always, who told you that it was our goal to make you comfortable? There are crosses around this place. That should be a clue that being a Christian is not about being comfortable. It's about being led and fed and giving yourself to Jesus. And some of that's gonna be fun. Some of it's not gonna be. Chapter nine, Paul starts it with, am I, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? There does, there does seem to have been a section of the Corinthian church that questioned Paul's story, whether or not he was an apostle. This will become more clear in 2 Corinthians. But he's saying, I, I have the right and I am an apostle, and while I may not be an apostle to you, I'm an apostle to others. He says that down here in verse two. And he even goes further, he says, don't I have a right to eat and drink? Don't I have a right to have a wife if I choose? Don't, and his whole point is some people evidently were criticizing him for taking money, for preaching, money to help him travel, money to help him eat and have lodging. We know at times that he even did secular work to decide so that um, that he could continue to do his work. But there are other times people made gifts. This is where we get into, in, in what my tribe was the located minister struggles of the um, really still pre-Civil War days, American Civil War, um, where people were saying, is it right to pay a man to preach to one church, won't, won't he become a bishop, won't he have too much power over them? And some of the arguments made sense and some did not. The fact is, it is perfectly legitimate to pay a minister. The person's putting in time, studying, working, doing their best. They're doing things that you'll never do. Are you gonna, are you gonna read these theological books? If you are, fantastic. We love having people like you in a church, we really do, because we have somebody to talk to. But if you're not gonna read them, and if you're not gonna do all the contextual studies and the language lookups, or even becoming fluent in those languages, if, if your minister is one of those, it's fine to pay somebody to be like the queen's treasurer, AKA the Ethiopian eunuch, who was approached and he said, how can I understand this without somebody to show me? Well, when somebody does show you, and somebody does show love and concern, it's fine to pay them. And Paul, that's what he's saying. Verse seven, who serves as a soldier at their own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat from its grapes? And he, he quotes the old law that you are not to muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Now that's gonna be a really weird thing for a lot of you to hear, so let me explain. The Old Testament has codes of ethics, <clears throat> not only for how we treat each other and how we follow our God, but also 
for how we treat animals. Uh, the sacrifice of animals was done quickly. There was uh, not to be any suffering involved there. They, they had it down to a, a skill. Uh, it, was, it was an art form to them. But animals were not mistreated, beaten, chained up. We've all seen the Humane Society photos of people brutalizing animals or using dogs and pitting them against each other. All of that's horrible and the Old Testament was opposed to that as well. To the point where even little things such as if you're going to take a young lamb and use it for your feast, don't boil it in the milk from its mother because it just, she's given enough. It just seems unkind. Now, I'm pretty sure the sheep wouldn't have known the difference, but people do. And people can be seen, their true character can be seen by the way they treat animals. So even as the ox is, is pulling either the, the sledge through the field, banging on, on the wheat, shaking off the chaff, or if it's pulling on a, on a big stick and the millstone is grinding out the wheat, it was every culture muzzled the ox, but not the Jews. God's law was, no, 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 he's working. Let that ox eat of the produce of what it's working. So Paul brings that up as well. He talks about in verse <clears throat> 13 of chapter nine, that those in the temple, and he's speaking there at the Jewish temple, are supported by the gifts being brought by uh, those who visit the temple. And then Paul goes a little further. <clears throat> all he, he has all of these rights and other people paying him, they're perfectly legitimate. But then he goes, starting in verse 15, but I haven't used these rights and I'm not writing you to get you to give me money. Now, has he used these rights elsewhere? Yes, gotta get the context. He's talking to them, some of them saying, Paul's only trying to tell us what to do because he wants our money, he wants our gifts, he wants control over our treasury. And Paul's saying, I've never asked for anything. I have the right, he said, but I've never asked. I preached the gospel. And he said, in fact, I didn't ask because I didn't want anybody there to be able to lay this on me, to lay this charge against me. So Paul doesn't trust some of the Corinthians and for very good reason. But he says, I'm gonna preach. Whether I'm paid from here, from you, or by nobody. Because I love his phrase, he goes, woe is to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul would just break, his body would burst if he couldn't talk about Jesus. So he's gonna talk about Jesus, whether you pay him or not, and whether you claim he's only doing it for money or not, he's gonna talk about Jesus. And then verse 19 forward, he says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The word slave and servant uh, get, mis get used and misused and translated all through scripture. I do plan to do a couple Monday morning messages about slavery in the Old Testament, New Testament, why and where was God and all of this sort of thing, all right? So just um, be looking for those. It may not be next week, but it's gonna be not too far in the future. He says, to the Jew, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, although I'm not under the law, so as to win those under the law. What, what is, what, what? 
he's saying this. Uh, Paul, knowing what happened back in Acts 10 with Peter, I don't need to, um, I don't need to eat kosher, let's say. I know that God has opened up foods for us. But when I'm around those who are Orthodox Jews, we would call them today, those who are keeping kosher, those that keep the law, I'm not going to eat food that's going to offend them. If I'm elsewhere, he talks about those not under the law, I become like one not having the law, and then a little parenthetical statement, though I'm not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law. But if they are free, then I will, I will behave in a way that works for them. When I go to speak places, uh, I'll ask them, I say, you have a dress code? I, I don't wear coats and ties unless I'm marrying or burying as a rule, uh, or unless I'm presenting to a group that expect it. Then I'll put them on. I won't complain, I'll just put them on. In the same way, if I'm going to speak at a, a casual assembly where people are in jeans and shorts and t-shirts, I'm not gonna walk in in a suit and tie. Um, I may not be dressed exactly like them because at 64, it's ridiculous to try to dress like you're 16, but I'm gonna try not to let the way I dress or act keep them from hearing about Jesus. I've, um, I've gone to places before where when dinner is served, all of a sudden a little fear hits because I see the wine glasses off to the side. They're used to having wine with their dinner. I'll look over and say, it's fine. I'm not offended. But there are places where if I sat down and looked around and said, could I have some wine with this? They would be very offended. So Christians are to behave in a way that we can still talk to people about Jesus. This is one of the reasons why I don't think marching around with a sign saying, you know, stay away from this abortion clinic is, is all that effective because the person, people coming in have, uh, are, many of them are not wounded souls. This is their second, third or fourth trip. You have to admit, many are wounded, yes. Many are not. I saw a video this week taken by a woman coming out after an abortion, joking about it and making fun of the people with the signs. So if that's not an effective way to share Jesus, I'm gonna to need to get to these women long before they need to go to an abortion clinic or to an adoption agency. I'm gonna to need to find a way to speak to them that does not offend them. It's gonna be very difficult because our world has become offendable. Everybody's offended at something. So just do what you can do. Paul says, I try to the weak, I become weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Verse 22, chapter nine. I love that one because he's saying, I'm doing everything I possibly can, but it will not work with everybody. We need to remember that sometimes. Jesus handpicked his apostles. One of them turned him into the authorities for money and all but one other, at least, and it could be that he left for a while too, deserted him when he needed the most. If Jesus doesn't get 100% compliance, neither will you. So it's all right. It's all right. You did your best. Now what? So Paul says, since I have these rights and these freedoms, and I'm able to do this or able to do that, he says, I, I remind myself of this. 
not everybody's going to win a prize. That's in verse 24. Well before the everybody gets a participation trophy uh, mindset. He said, I got to go into strict training. I have to work on my body, work on my mind. Paul seemed to be a sports enthusiast because he used sporting metaphors a lot. And really here he, he clumps several of them. I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Sometimes, some versions, I beat my body daily and make it my slave. Other versions, and subject, keep it under subjection so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Um, what's, what's going on here? He's saying, listen, Corinthians, I'm an apostle. I'm doing my best. But even I have to work on my body every single day. Some versions will say buffet my body. And I've seen ministers who uh, laugh and call it buffet my body, but gluttony still wrong, guys, so be careful. Um, it is, it's a matter of self-discipline. And you're going to find this. There are some matters where there's corporate discipline, where the community has said, keep these standards. But most of the time when God says to give to the poor, he's talking to us as individuals. And here Paul's saying, I have all of these rights, but I have an individual responsibility as an individual to exercise, not his body, but his spirit. He's using those others as metaphors. I need to exercise my mind. I need to learn more. I need to be a better person because it's easy to preach to others while you yourself are failing. Sometimes they won't know it. Sometimes they will. But Paul says, listen, I'm right there with you. And then even warns, and we're slipping a little bit into chapter 10 here. Um, he says, everybody who came out of Egypt ate the same food provided by God, drank the same water provided by God, crossed the desert with the same leader, but not all of them made it to the promised land. Therefore, as just as Jesus with that parable of the sower and the seeds, not every seed is going to be available to grow up and be harvested. Make sure you're one of those that, that will be. And that requires a daily checking, gut check, spiritual check. Where are you? What's going on? Where do you want to be? What will get you there? Long ago on this Monday morning stuff we've been doing, we did the three questions. So you've already heard those if you've been following. And the scripture says, God, uh, verse 5 of chapter 10, and this is where we'll end today. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So Paul's having to warn them, you're starting, you've been throwing rocks at me and at each other. You need to put the rocks down. You need to go to um, a still body of water and look in and take a good hard look at yourself. If you can find a mirror, which are basically just burnished bronze and such back at the day, if you can find a mirror, go look. But look inside. Let's judge ourselves and not others. You have way too much time, Corinthians, if you're walking around going, we're worried about what Paul is getting financially. We think he may be profiting from preaching. And I've heard many churches say, we, like to, we, we wanna pay our preacher enough to do the job, but we need to keep him humble. And they were serious. That is jaw-droppingly awful. 
but does that mean I want a private jet? Nope. No, you might notice, a careful observer, there's a lot of room between those two. All right, well, we will put a, uh, a pen in it right here and we will take off from there next week. It means so much to us that you continue to watch, you continue to comment on, on here, but also on our worship. Uh, so many of you are contributing even in, in dabs of fives and tens, which every, every penny is helping us stay alive and keep moving forward with our safe harbor. And wait till you hear about some places we have now reached and some things we are about to do because of you and God and all of us walking arm in arm together under the yoke of Jesus Christ. All right, we'll see you Sunday. Cheers. We are back for 